This is episode 226 of the Empowered Team Podcast. Welcome to the Empowered Team Podcast, where we explore how to optimize your performance in career, sport, and life. And now your host, executive coach and life strategist, Kari Schneider. Welcome to the Empowered Team Podcast. I'm so excited to be back here with Dr. Greg Wells, who is an exercise physiologist, a researcher, a family man extraordinaire, and someone who I love to chat with. One of the reasons why is because you practice what you preach so much. So tell me a little more about you or tell our audience a little more about you besides what I've shared. Um, first of all, it's great to speak to you again. Uh, it's awesome to connect, even if it's over, you know, whatever web platform we're using. I've, it's just so amazing to, to actually like see people and talk and have great conversations. This is awesome. Um, exercise physiologist by training. I, I'm still at the hospital for sick children as a uh, researcher in translational medicine. We do exercise medicine there for kids with cancer and cystic fibrosis and other things. Uh, that program is, is ongoing. That's where we publish all of our research. I also do a lot of public speaking, taking that information about health and well-being and sharing it with as many people as possible. Uh, I've written four books. The fifth one comes out in a couple months. That one's called Powerhouse. Super excited about that. And I've got a background in coaching uh, Olympic level athletes, as you do, as a physiologist through the Sports Center Network. So that's been amazing as well. It's been quite a ride and uh, loads of fun and uh, just super happy to start to enter the phase of my life where I can share that at scale. And uh, that's what the next phase is going to be all about. Well, I, I mean, first of all, congratulations, because writing four books really takes something, let alone getting into a fifth. Yeah. No, no, yeah. it's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, 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 it's not. I, every book is like pulling your own teeth. That's how I describe it. Like there, it's just, ex and it's an excruciating process, but it forces you to catch up on the research. It forces you to create structures and frameworks that people can use. So I try to write one every two to three years. So I'm, I'm done on this one. And I think I got at least two to three years where I don't have to think about another one, but I'm, I'm sure I probably have at least one or two more in me. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> Amazing. Well, okay. Before I have some personal questions for you about your own practices, because what I believe in is that, um, it's amazing to have all kinds of knowledge and we accumulate and assimilate so much knowledge but I don't subscribe to knowledge as power. I tend to think of clarity and action are power. So I wanna ask a bunch of personal questions. Before we go into that though, tell us a little bit about the fifth book, The Powerhouse. First of all, I love the title, Powerhouse. So tell us a little bit about this book. Got it. Um, so I totally agree with you around clarity. We, we've always sort of said clarity precedes mastery, right? Like you have to have a clear vision of where you're going uh, and then you can do implement the practices that enable you to achieve amazing things in, in your life. Um, and so the new book is all about that. It's just like taking the latest information and putting it into a structure that we can apply. So the first section is all about breath work because that's a fascinating area. Funny enough, that's what I did my doctorate research on 20 years ago. So now it's relevant. It only took 20 years. <laughs> um, I spent far too long thinking about breathing. Uh, then the second section is just updates on uh, exercise and physical activity, because I really do think that that's something that we have seen in the pandemic is uh, sort of a divergence and that some people got really fit and some people really struggled. Uh, and I, at the beginning of the pand pandemic, I was definitely one of the people that struggled with that. And then 
managed to turn it around near the end and, and get back on a good trajectory. The third section is all about um, energizing and getting more energy because I feel people are tired. I feel they're burned out. So I just wanted to share some ideas around how to get more energy and the philosophy there is hormesis. A little bit is good. A lot is not. So that applies to like hot, cold, um, intermittent fasting, those sorts of, those sorts of things. And the final section is all about thriving because I want people to be able to reach their potential and get back to really getting excited and joyful and having an impact in the world. And that revolves a lot around the people, places, and pursuits that bring us joy. So that's what the book's about. Breathe, move, energize, and thrive. I love this. And I think this is uh, not only so needed right now, but but valuable, massively valuable, because people are searching and people want, especially the thing that you pointed to with energizing, that section, that third section, energizing mm -hmm. is if... If I'm communicating with people in all walks or especially business, they find themselves feeling low on energy. And that can be one of the biggest complaints overall. And, and as you know, that can be a precursor to something else that's not discovered health-wise eight months, years down the road. So um, on a personal note for you, clearly this is your not only passion, but likely purpose in life to really get the information out to as many people as possible. Would I be, would I be accurate in saying something like that? Yeah, I think I've really figured out that what I, what I'm good at is uh, translating science so that people can understand it. And I'm just trying to lean into that a lot more. I'm a, I'm a good researcher. I'm not winning the Nobel prize anytime soon. Uh, but what I am really good at from a, you know, a researcher perspective is taking that research, breaking it down and making it understandable and actionable. And so that's the mission. That's the purpose. That's what I'm going to be doing for the next while. In addition to sort of making sure that my kids have a good life and all that sort of stuff too. Yeah. You know, <laughs> there's the family and there's the purpose and it's like, okay, my purpose is still nothing without my family. So, <laughs> you know, it all puts us, puts things into perspective. 100%. And also, you know, we, uh, there's an interplay there, right? Like, it, it, and a lot of people put everything else before themselves. So they'll put family first, they'll put work first. And I've been in several situations where I have not been well, and or my daughter has not been well, and even Adam's gotten sick, and Judith's gotten sick. And when any member of your family is not not doing well, it puts, um, it makes it impossible for you to do anything else because that is the massive priority. But what I would submit to all of your listeners right now is that it is not selfish, in fact, to put yourself first. It is actually self-full. And we need to do that because we've been through this collective trauma of whatever we you know, has happened over the last few years. I'm not going to get into that. But in, in order for us to move forward mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, community-wise, I really do think we need to recover and regenerate. So that means putting yourself first, getting in your own workouts, doing the meditation, doing the journaling, doing the gratitude practice, spending time with people that you love. And that is then what enables you to do your best work. That is what then enables you to be the best for your family. So uh, it's an interesting approach that I think that we all need to take these days. And that is really, you know, put yourself first. And that's how we create that amazing connection between our purpose and our family uh, and our work and our mission and all that sort of stuff and how it comes together. And it's one of those things that, you know, the listeners on here, achievers or overachievers and leaders tend to want to serve, 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 do, do, do. And they feel that that's going to bring the fulfillment often. And yet, at the cost of themselves many, many times. So it's one of those things that we like to take a lot of action, 
we like to do a lot of things. We like to help a lot of people. And we forget that when we're not taking care of ourselves, then, then what, how can we keep doing those things? And it's unsustainable over the long term, right? Like it works in the short term, for sure. If you totally focus on work, you'll do really well at work for a little while. And that might even last for a few years, but eventually it's going to catch up with you. And um, when it does catch up with you, what's the quote, um, people will spend their lives, you know, making money. And then as soon as they're sick, they'll give away all their money for health, right? So, um, and, and that's really what I don't want to have for people. I want us to be sustainable now. I want us to be consistent. I want us to have growth over the long term. I want us to um, have impact, but do so, do so in a way where health and performance come together at the same time. And those aren't mutually exclusive. In fact, I think they're mutually dependent. If we are going to reach our potential, if we are going to do our best, if we are going to thrive, we have to be healthy. You can't do that without being healthy. And similarly, I don't think you can perform to your potential unless you're healthy as well. So that health and performance has to come together to enable us to do our best and to and to do well in this world. And that means family, that means us individually, and that means what, whatever our work happens to be. Mm-hmm. And and yet I imagine for you, I know that I have seen that at that spectrum of performance, that highest perspective of performance is often an unhealthy zone. So meaning- It has been. For Olympic. sure. I think, go ahead. I, I, you and I have both seen that with the Olympic athletes, as I think you're about to say. Yeah. Yeah. That, that it ends up going into a zone of not being healthy because it's so extreme. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that was a lot of your work, obviously, that, that you did so well on the, on the physical training side with all of those athletes is, and our, our job as physiologists and as trainers with that group is to push them as hard as you possibly can with, without making them sick. It's almost like you want to overwhelm them without burning them out. And that's like a knife edge, right? Because you've got to be right on that edge of, of too much. Uh, we do need to uh, impose stress, like the stress of training, the stress of mental training, the stress of competition, the stress of travel, uh, because that's what, if, if you rest, if you then allow recovery and regeneration, that stress is the stimulus for growth. But if it's overwhelming, it can make you very sick it can burn you out and that's mentally, physically, and emotionally. So I think that's kind of the, the, the knife edge that we're all navigating right now after three years of a lot of external stress, that recovery and regeneration piece is going to be massive for us to get us back to the point of growth rather than being on that overwhelming burnout trajectory that so many people are. It's, I love, I love the way you've framed it because um, if, if the general population took in that same mindset that an athlete has to have, which is to overreach, 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 and then recover in order to have the super compensation, then that's the thing that athletes do. That's the periodization. That's the planning that we create on purpose, the stress, 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 rest, and then have the result that we want. And I I think that if the general public were adopting a, I call it strategic imbalance, Uh, adopting a strategic imbalance where everyone's looking for balance, but there really isn't balance if you're trying to actually get some change in some zone of your life, whether it's your family zone or your career zone or your personal zone. So to to have the change, we need that level of stress, some sort of strategic stressor, but then the purposeful recovery in order to get the growth that we ultimately want. And that could be in anything from learning to physical stress. Um, that that brings me to some personal questions, which is one of them is 
what tends to stress you the most? Because you are, you have a lot of pots on the stove, if you will. And there's the research, there's the book writing, there's your company, there's the public speaking, there's your family. So what tends to end up pushing you into that zone? I know. Yeah, we're going to, we're going to go there. Are we? This is, this is what's going to happen. We're going to do this. Um, so yeah, what stresses me out the most, probably um, if I was to, you know, like from a business perspective, when you're a solopreneur, I mean, I have a, a research practice at Sick Kids, but it's only, you know, one or two days a week. It's a small piece of, of the puzzle. The majority of my work is around public speaking and the consulting company that we've um, that's really grown over the last few years. And now also our app, which is, which is growing. There's a lot going on. Uh, and the one thing I've discovered really does stress me out is trying to manage the admin and the finances of a business because I've got 12 people on payroll. Like they depend upon me for their, um, their, 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 their paychecks. Right. And that's hard. And, and when you know, when you run your own business, some months are amazing. Some years are amazing. Some months are bad and some years can be bad. And so, navigating that responsibility to others is 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 definitely uh difficult and probably the thing that stresses me out the most when that happens then one of the tactics that we and i that i try to teach which i'm trying to practice right now actually is just really focusing in on okay so what can i actually do what is in my control uh you know if i need to get more speaking engagements then what is in my control? Well, that's putting out world-class content, believe it or not, on social media, not, you know, clickbait garbage, but just like really good thinking. And when I share that thinking at scale on social, guess what? Inbound comes and you get speaking engagements out of it. And so when I think about what's controllable, that enables me to navigate the really difficult times. Uh, stress often pushes you into dooms scrolling in your brain right imagining futures that don't exist or replaying the past which stresses you out and it's important to bring yourself back into that present moment and ask yourself okay so what can i actually do that serves me that moves me in the direction that i want to go and that's the that's the practice on a day-to-day -day basis one of the things that helps massively with that is of course journaling right if you have your journal and you can write things out and you can see you know what's your task list for the week what are the three key things that i need to get done and when you look at it, you're like oh wow that's a lot i'm actually making progress uh when you don't when i don't write it down it it can be overwhelming for me and i feel like i'm not really getting anywhere and i lose momentum so that's uh that's the the, the stressor and how i navigate it and then the individual tactic that might help people is just really working in that that journaling piece which helps a lot yeah i i um I think that that's what most people who are doing a lot of things struggle with in, in this, the overwhelm. It sounds like you're describing overwhelm. There's so much happening. There's so many things that could be done. And yet we have to pick one at a time in order to get those or leverage with one of the staff in order to make that happen. Um, you, you said something and I'm, I'm, this is one of my zones of genius uh, is, is the language. And you said, I'm trying to, and mm. the fact that you're trying to means that you're, doing it and probably not doing it and doing it and not doing it. And that like the analogy is a blinker. How do you know it's working? Cause it's going on and it's going off. It's going on. Yeah. And so it's working, you're doing it, it's happening. And then that's the, that's the step-by-step -step going forward. Then it's more habitual. So in your habits overall, you have to travel, especially now that that it's not COVID because you had some time where you weren't traveling. When you travel, what are some of the habits 
around exercise that you that are non-negotiable because sometimes you don't have the access to what you ordinarily would at home or the routine you would ordinarily have at home when you travel what's your non-negotiable no matter where you are what's going on what's the what are the key exercise or exercises or practices that you uh commit to got it um it's funny you mentioned that last week i spent a lot of time on airplanes and hotels all over the place and uh i'm not happy with how last week went so i've been thinking about it quite deeply because i've got next week i'm traveling and the week after i'm traveling as well uh so and the main challenge then around travel and this can be like my challenges i just get tired like you're on airplanes you're hauling through being taxis into hotels and you know um av audio visual checks and rehearsals and all that sort of stuff like it's you're tired and so when you're tired it's hard to find the energy to do the workouts that you would necessarily want to be doing and so the non-negotiables which i managed to do last week but i need to double down on um next week the non-negotiables are an enormous amount of water because when you're on an airplane you get uh dehydrated and i find often that when i'm thirsty um i will feel hungry and so in order to prevent me from eating bad on the road i drink a lot of water that really 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 helps the other thing that's been massively beneficial is that if i don't feel like i have enough energy to do a quote-unquote workout to go for a run lift some weights i just do yoga and I've been doing 30 to 45 minutes of yoga almost every day, probably for about six or seven months now. And it is making a massive difference for me. Uh, and last week, I just did it in my hotel room. I did it in between the two double beds on the floor, on the carpet. I mean, it's not perfect. It wasn't great. Um, I definitely slipped a few times, but it was absolutely fine. And that way, at least I wasn't getting tight. I wasn't getting injured. I wasn't getting sore on the road. Next week, um, I've actually spread out the travel a touch. I will keep with the yoga, but I'm definitely doing some cardio uh, workouts, which I've actually set up with a buddy of mine in each of the different locations that I'm going to. I'm like, hey, you got to come to the hotel. You're going to take me for a run. And that way I'm, I'm leveraging my, my network to make sure that I do what I need to do on the road. But the non-negotiables are really just trying to make sure that I focus on food, uh, trying to manage my fatigue while I'm traveling and working. And then the other piece of the puzzle is like, don't necessarily feel like you have to do all the workouts. You just have to move a little bit. And that's what I did last week with the yoga, which was still a net positive, maybe not as good as I wanted to be with the weights, but it was fine and it, it worked out well. Fantastic. Fantastic. So on that note, um, what, what energizes you the most? I, I ask it this way because I'm, I imagine that in your book, which I'm excited to read, uh, the energizing section, I imagine that some of that might be a little more personal based on what is inspiring to someone. So for you, what tends to energize you the most? Uh, you know, one of the things that we discovered during the pandemic for both uh, Judith, my wife and I was that um, we have very specific things that were taken away that we now know are absolutely critical for us. And for Judith, what energizes her is people. Like she loves having people over. She loves having um dinner parties like she just loves her work she's a chiropractor acupuncturist and uh so when she goes and she sees people one-on-one -on -one, that brings her to life she's like so happy at the end of the day um what i've discovered that i need in order to be like massively energized is outdoor exercise like when i'm hiking in the woods i am thrilled when i'm cross-country skiing i'm super psyched when i am 
um, paddleboarding couldn't be happier cycling anything that is out literally anything that is outdoors makes me so incredibly happy i'm back in toronto right now and one of the practices that's sort of keeping me going because i live downtown it's not easy to get outside and go for a cross-country ski uh is so i've just been doing cold plunges in like it's you know it's where we january um i'm still doing getting in the lake almost every single day and it's cold it's like two degrees celsius and uh it's not warm here in in canada in the winter uh, but that's what's keeping me going right now is the, the cold plunge at sunrise in the middle of winter in the lake in and amongst the ice and the snow has been pretty massive for keeping me going right now. Are you doing that daily or is that a once a week thing? Like what's the what's the frequency? Probably two or three times a week at least. And if I'm ever like stressed or if I'm like feeling a little bit down or I'm a little bit anxious or anything where I feel like my mindset is off a little bit, I go straight in for lake. And it, in, honestly, it has been the number one game changer for my mindset. Cause I started probably last February. There was a day where I was just not feeling it. I was like, I was down. I was just like, and I, I'm a super happy person, right? Like I'm happy i love people i love my life and love my kids i love like everything's awesome but everyone's was feeling like oh you know yeah. just not let's call it i think i was probably mildly depressed let's just say it and i was like i need to do something i need to shake this up and i looked out my window i was like okay well there's a lake down down the street so i grabbed my swimsuit and i got changed and i grabbed a towel and some sandals and in the middle of a snowstorm walked down um, and straight into the lake. And I well, did the it? whole Wim, Wim Hof breathing technique, which I learned from a buddy of mine uh, about in 2016. I was able to stay in for about five minutes, came back out, nice hot shower, and felt like a million bucks. And it's like, okay, that's the ticket. That's what I'm going to do. Uh, and it's been an absolute win for me when it comes to my mindset. Because anytime that I feel like I'm struggling a little bit, going in the lake makes everything seem easy. Oh my goodness, that is so powerful. The, the research is there for depression, the cold exposure. It is. The, mm -hmm. the, and you've got the breathing with it, the, the challenging your nervous system, stressing your nervous system, and then working through it, telling your brain, your nervous system, your body that you're safe, you're okay. And that, that ability mm -hmm. just to wake the brain back up, that's powerful. Very, very powerful. Yeah, and actually what I've discovered, funny enough, because I where um you know I've, I've been going in with my my Apple Watch and I've been tracking my heart rate while I do it. And I've been contrasting what happens to my heart rate when I'm in the sauna. And that is uh my heart rate increases. I actually got to 143 in the sauna the other day at Other Ship, which is a, a studio in downtown Toronto where you can do hot cold contrast. So I got up to 143, which is like a hard run for me. Um, in the sauna it was super hot it was in there for like 20 minutes and um, then it did cold plunge afterwards and what I've discovered is that the cold plunge actually activates your parasympathetic system the heat activates your sympathetic system your stress system the, the cold activates your parasympathetic system which is your recovery and regeneration and within two to three minutes of being in the cold water my heart rate was down below 50 like it completely shut off my stress system. And, and uh, that's what I think is really interesting is that we can use the heat to stimulate positive adaptations in our cardiovascular system. Heat shock proteins, which get released when you're exposed to heat, have all sorts of downstream positive effects in the body. But then we have this cold, uh, which we can leverage as well, which helps to activate your parasympathetic system which helps you to recover and regenerate and decrease your overall stress level. So the contrast between those is, I think, super powerful and definitely something I'm leveraging at the moment.
That is fantastic. Did you um, did you have any of your HRV or heart rate variability metrics while you were doing it? Did you? Yeah. I, well, I mean, I didn't look at them during, because that would defeat the purpose. But I looked at them <laughs> afterwards, and yeah. it was um, yeah, it was pretty compelling. Actually, it was uh, yeah, it was really, really, it was really wild to see it. Uh, I'll I'll flip you the uh, the image because I took a screenshot of it, and uh, if you want to post it up uh, in the in the show notes, you're more than welcome to do that. I would love that. I'm uh, I the heart rate variability was my first field of research and super fascinating. Mm. And um, uh, I was going to say though, do you are you, those times of stress that you were talking about earlier, and you are, you know, feeling perhaps like there's a lot coming at you, maybe out of control, maybe overwhelmed. What is your are you looking at your metrics at that time? Are you looking at your heart rate variability? Are you getting any, are you purposefully not? What's the, what's the rationale for you? The rationale for me is I think in some cases the data actually makes us more stressed out. Mm -hmm. And so uh, like if, if I'm feeling overwhelmed, if I'm feeling like I'm struggling a little bit, I don't need my heart rate variability to tell me that I'm stressing out. Like I know, and I think we all kind of have that sensation. And so when I'm in those moments where it's difficult, when I'm not feeling good, when I'm stressed, when I feel that anxiety creeping up and I'm overwhelmed, the number one thing that I'm thinking about right now is just breath work, taking those three long, deep breaths, really focusing on the long exhales, just to sort of calm myself down, give myself a bit of room between uh, what's stressing me out and the responses that I may be having. If it's too short, I react, but if it's longer through the breaths, it enables me to respond rather than react, which I think is massive. For all of us these days trying to make sure that you know we don't um, lash out we don't um say anything that uh furthers the the negativity that might be that might be happening giving ourselves a little bit of that mindset space is really really critical just to be able to uh, respond to the challenges and and be positive and be constructive and be supportive for all the people that we're that we're interacting with so yeah no i'm not looking at it during but i definitely deconstruct it afterwards to try to figure out what worked what didn't work there was a day when i was doing some it was a tough day i was get, trying to get a lot of stuff done and i noticed my hrv numbers getting you know lower and lower and lower lower being more stressed uh and then i would do breath work and it would pop right back up again to a nice high level of, of heart rate variability and you can see the cycling sort of like like teeth, like an alligator teeth <laughs> sequence uh, throughout the course of the graph. But uh, yeah, you can definitely get some good data, but I try not to do it uh, during because I just find it, you know, takes me out of what I need to be doing, which is usually just calming down and chilling. Yeah. And and then for the listeners, we we haven't gone over this in a while, but typically that, that activation of the parasympathetic and the vagal nerve, and that would be the long, slow exhales. Whereas if they want to wake up and activate and energize, it'd be the fast inhales and faster exhales. So do you, when it, when it comes to, um, when it comes to feeling really relaxed, feeling really, uh, you, you pointed to the part where you were low, when you were in that low point, did you feel like you were stressed and low, or did you just feel like you were low? Yes, but they're different. They're different, right? So one is like a high activation, which is that sort of stress anxiety zone. And then there's low activation, which is sort of like the fatigue and a little bit more depressed zone. If we think about the Yerkes-Dodson law from 1908 and the inverted U hypothesis where we're low activation, we're tired, we're fatigued, we're uh, not motivated, maybe even depressed. Of course, that will lead to low performance and, and low mental health. On the other end of the spectrum, you're too activated, you're too stressed, you're too nervous. 
you're too anxious. Uh, that's the, the tension zone also leads to very poor performance. There's that middle zone where you're energized and activated and that's the magic. It's like that relaxation plus energy zone. And that's what you're trying to get into. If you're, if you're not feeling it, if you're feeling down, then often I will visualize things that psych me up to bring me back into that higher energy zone. And if I'm too stressed, I'll do all of the breathing techniques to help me to come back down to get into that high performance state. You can see athletes doing this right before they compete, right? This is um, often what you'll you'll see them doing at the Olympics right before they're about to start. They're either doing the, you know, the hard exhales to psych themselves up or the long, slow exhales to, to calm themselves down. But navigating that sweet spot in between, uh, you know, as I mentioned, from the low activation to the optimal activation to not being too activated is really is really the magic that we're shooting for. And and the visualization that supports that is so powerful as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just uh, I want to be aware of your time here. Uh, last question here for you, and then we'll wrap up. Do um, do you practice any intermittent fasting? Do you do anything that's uh, I think of your travel and I think of, you know, some of the health benefits that come with intermittent fasting or time restricted eating. Does is that something that you practice and how so? Yeah, so um, so you've got intermittent fasting got time restricted eating and then you've got caloric restriction and the research has shown that if you do intermittent fasting but you eat equal to or more calories it does nothing right. uh, and so really what we're looking for is some sort of a combination of time restricted eating so eating with a certain window of time and equal to or maybe even slightly lower number of calories and that's the magic combination to make intermittent fasting actually work uh, what I have been focusing on recently is just simply not having anything to eat after dinner. So that gives you automatically 12 and 12, which seems in the research to show that that's how we get almost 80% of the benefits of intermittent fasting. If you add exercise to that, you get a little bit more. And then the other hack that I do is when I am traveling on an airplane I, or in an airport, uh, I will not I will not eat. So that's just my new rules that when I'm traveling, I don't eat. And I'll have something super healthy in the hotel when I get there, usually like um, some sort of a uh, you know, mixed green salad with a double order of salmon or protein or whatever we can get on it. So that's how I'm working it right now. It's definitely of mind, but I don't go that extreme with it. I try to be consistent and reasonable 12 and 12. And then I add a little bit more when I'm doing the traveling piece. But the key thing to make that work for everyone is realizing that it's a, actually a combination of time restricted eating plus a little bit of caloric restriction, sort of like negative 50, negative, ne negative 100, maybe depending on what you need to be doing. Like if you need to if your body composition is where you want it to be, then that's fine. Keep it at, you know, an equal level. If we're trying to optimize body composition, maybe it's a little bit lower. And if we're trying to gain muscle mass, maybe it's a little bit higher. I'm really glad you described it that way, because I think there's that common misperception that intermittent fasting is the thing to use for weight loss. And that's not, that's not where the health benefits lie. They're in the cellular restoration and autophagy and all the things. So, and the energizing as well, that comes from it as well. So Last yeah. thing, I just, uh, I want to say thank you for your insights, your input. I think your other amazing superpower besides translating research is this responsibility that you, you feel for people taking um, self-care, really, truly taking care of themselves in order to really get that, that high performance zone for themselves. So congratulations on your new book, Powerhouse fifth book and you have your app as well the name is in, in say vivio am i saying it right yeah vivio um you can check it out vivio.io 
uh, we would be honored and grateful and uh, super thankful if anyone wants to check that out. We are putting a lot of effort into that and that's our, our big focus at the moment. So yeah, please check that out. Thank you so much. And you are found on Instagram as well as other channels and whatnot? Yeah, websites, uh, drgregwells.com. All my socials are at drgregwells, super active on Instagram and LinkedIn. Powerful. Thank you so much, Greg. Yeah. Take care. Thank you so much. Take care. Talk to you soon. If you enjoy listening to the Empowered Team podcast, you'll love being on the Empowered Team. The Empowered Team is our group coaching and accountability program where we provide the tools, skills, and community for you to grow your self-mastery as a leader and optimize your results alongside other leaders. The Empowered Team runs year-round. To learn more about our leadership consulting for business and our Empowered Team group coaching, head to www.theempowered.ca slash empowered-learn-more. That's www.theempowered.ca slash empowered-learn-more. We can't wait for you to join us. Let's go.